Well, good evening. Let's begin in Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Whenever I'm asked the question, why do you believe in God? I turn to Psalm 19. And I encourage others to do what I have done, what I continue to do. Just look up at the sky. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven, and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. I encourage folks to look up, because the natural order declares the glory, the power, the existence of deity. But that's not all. I also encourage folks to look at Psalm 19 beginning in verse 7, and not only do I encourage people to look up, but I also encourage them to, to look in. There are some things that the natural order does not communicate about God. The natural order does not communicate His nature, His attributes. The natural order does not communicate characteristics of this glorious, powerful God. And so God has given us, beginning in verse 7, His law. And so as we look into the law of God, the Word of God, the Word of the true and living God, we see things about Him that are evident that, that He makes known through His revelation. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. And so when I reason with folks about why I believe in God, I encourage them to, to look up Psalm 19, 1 through 6, and I encourage them to, to, to look in, to look within God's Word. And one of the things that we see in, in Psalm 19, verse 1, about how God has revealed Himself is that there are some things that, that are just evident. There are some things that, that are just manifest. They're just open to sight. They're just visible. They're just clear. Anyone who, who can see can, can look up into the sky, and they can see and hear the heavens declare the glory of God. In Galatians 5.19, we read that the works of the flesh are evident. The works of the flesh are manifest. They are open to sight. You know that, right? You know that. 
not only from the revelation of God in Galatians 5.19, but you know that from your experience. All, all you have to do is get your smartphone out right now and pull up, pull up a news website. And, and you'll see evil manifest. You will see evil open to your sight. It will be visible and clear before you right here, right now in this place through the technology of your smartphone. There are some things that are not evident. There are some things that are not manifest, that are not open to sight, that are not visible, that are not clear. And I want to encourage you to think with me for, for a moment tonight that one of those things that is not evident, that is not open to sight, that is, that is not visible, that is not clear, is the truth of 1 John 4, verse 8, and 1 John 4, verse 16. And as we consider those two verses, what we see that, that is common in 1 John 4, verse 8, and in verse 16, is that those two verses of Scripture are telling us that the true and living God who created the heavens and the earth that, 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 were, that were designed to naturally declare, to, to manifest, to make known His glory. We are told in these two verses that God is love. And I want you to just pause for a second, and I want you to consider with me tonight the, the truth that we do not naturally see that God is love. We do not naturally see the love of God. And so someone, sometimes folks will say, well, why do you believe in God? Well, look up, look, look, look within. But there's a third thing that I encourage folks to do who, who, are, who are seeking and groping for God. And that is to look unto. I didn't ask our brother to lead that song, but at times like this, I just I feel pretty good about God working in our lives, collectively working in our lives. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. When we ask the question... How can I know that God is love? 1 John 4, verse 8, 1 John 4, verse 16. How can I know that God is love and that He loves me? This is how I answer that question when I'm reasoning with folks, trying to bring them to faith in Jesus. The answer to this question, how can I know that God is love and that He loves me, is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. How can I know something that is not evident? Namely, that God is, that God is love, and that He loves me. I want to turn your attention to a, to a verse of Scripture that I know you're familiar with. Romans chapter 5. And I, I want you with me tonight, as much as lies within all of us, to look at these words with fresh eyes within the context of this question. How can I know that God is love and that He loves me, the person and the work of Jesus? 
The New King James translation is, is, is my translation of choice. It, it, is, it is my Bible because in December of 1991, my Aunt Rebecca gave me a copy of a New King James Version Bible for Christmas. And I have used the same Bible since 1991. And I'll tell you one of the reasons why I've chosen to do that is because I know where everything is on the page. Because I've been looking at the same page for that long. And I know where Romans 5 verse 8 is in my Bible. And I would encourage you to find it in yours. And to know where it is in your Bible. But I would encourage you even more than that to hide it in your heart. And as much as I love the New King James Version, the best translation of Romans 5 verse 8 is the ESV. Because that's what the language that the Spirit used literally means. And what it says there is, the truth that God is love is not something that's just known. It's not something that is evident. It's not something that is open to see. And you know who knows that? God knows that. And you know, you, you know what the God who knows that did about that? showed us something that we can see so that we can know. This is the point of my lesson tonight. I, I, I'm not going to stop. I, I do think I'm going to stop before Bob and Kevin. And uh, Kevin wanted to get out of that joke I made yesterday, but I'm not letting him slide. Just, just because his name isn't in the in the directory is one of the evangelists here. I know he preaches long sermons here, and y'all do too. I'm not going to stop at 724, but this is the point of my lesson tonight. When you think about Christ and Him crucified, this is what God wants you to think about. This is what God wants you to see. When you see Jesus being crucified. God wants you to see that He is love and that He loves you. And to see that any other way is not to see it at all. God shows us His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How do I know this evening that God is love and that he, he loves me? Because God shows me who He is and the posture that He has taken before me so that I might return unto Him what He has extended to me in Jesus. And this is love, not that we love God but that He first loved us. I, I want to turn our attention to Isaiah chapter 52 now. And I, I, I know a lot of you, a lot of you know me, but when I, when I have an opportunity like this, I, I, I do kind of like to, to see who's here and, 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 and to preach to, to the assembly that I have the opportunity to preach to. And, I, I, and so what I want to say to you tonight is that... Uh, I'm going to tweak this a little bit because I had a good experience yesterday 
with uh, a number of the young people here just walking up to me and, and sticking their hand out and introducing themselves to me and, 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 and talking to me and talking to me about the lessons and showing me their notes and, and telling me that they appreciated my lessons. And I, I want to tell you, that's not true everywhere I, I go. And so I, I do want to say some things tonight to your young people by way of encouragement. Some of you don't know me. I, I grew up in Winfield, Alabama, uh, about 80 or 90 miles north, northwest of here. And I grew up in a, in a, in a little church, very similar t- to this one, but it, but it was smaller. I grew up in the Glen Allen Church, and Gilbert Alexander was, was, was the preacher uh, at, at the end of my time there, before I graduated high school and, and I moved. And so, if you're a young person here tonight, it, it's because your parents have brought you or your grandparents have, have brought you. And I've been right where you are. We would have a series of, of services like this. And I would be drugged to them by my mom and dad. And I would sit there and I would think, I got homework to do. The Braves are probably playing tonight. We got football on our mind. We got a thousand and one things on our mind besides this. And I know Bob and Kevin, they're just breathing a sigh of relief about all that talk I was doing about preaching a shorter sermon tonight, right? Because he's already said to us he's going to get us out of here, so I'm already their favorite, right? (laughs) But I want to tell you what Gilbert Alexander did for me one Sunday night. One Sunday night, he, he stood up at the chalkboard, and this is how old I am, right? This is before PowerPoint and, and, and what was before PowerPoint, uh, overhead projectors. Gilbert Alexander was a high school English teacher, and he had incredible handwriting. But I want to tell you, nobody could write on a chalkboard like him. I mean, his, his handwriting on a chalkboard, and he was left-handed. And so he would stand up at the chalkboard, and he would write the title of the sermon, and then he would come back to the podium. And there was one, Wednesday, there was one Sunday night where on, on, the, on the chalkboard he wrote, The Christ of Isaiah. And throughout the course of, of that service, on, on the left side of the board, he would write a scripture from Isaiah. And then on the right side of the board, he would write a scripture in the, in the New Testament. And so the point of the lesson was this. The point of the lesson was, Isaiah lived over 700 years before Jesus of Nazareth was born. And over 700 years before he was born, God used the prophet Isaiah to say, this is how you can know that I am the true and the living God. Here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to talk about some things that have not yet happened as if they have already happened. And when they do happen, then you can know that I am and that there is no other. And so for about 40 minutes that night, he would read a passage from Isaiah, and then we would go to the New Testament, and we would connect those two things. And I want to tell you what I did as a young person sitting in a pew very similar to what you're doing tonight. I sat there, and I said to myself, you know what? There may be something to this. This may not be just something that my parents do. This may just be something that my grandparents and my aunt, this, this may be something that there's more to this than maybe I've considered, and maybe I should look at this for myself a little closer. Gilbert Alexander did that for me. 
You got anybody in your life like that? I tell you, my primary objective is to glorify God, but if I could do that for you tonight, it'd be time well spent away from home to be here with you. Isaiah chapter 52, the gospel of Jesus Christ in Isaiah, written in the, in the past tense, almost 800 years before it happens. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form of comeliness, and when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. And I want you to notice verse 10. Next to the word bruise in the New King James Version, it, it has a number one. And so I go to my center column, and in the center column it has the, it has the better translation of that word as I understand it. And so this is what this is what it this is what it this is what it says. It pleased the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressions. 
Who is Psalm 52, beginning in verse 13 through chapter 53, verse 12, about? It is about Jesus of Nazareth. Who is this Jesus? He is the only begotten God, the only begotten Son of God. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one in whom God demonstrates His love for you because Jesus is bearing your iniquities. He's bearing your transgressions. He's bearing your sins in His body on the tree so that you might know, that you might know that God is real, that God is love, and that He loves you. That is what God is trying to communicate to each and every one of us as an individual. I love you. And here is how you can know it. I love you so much. I so loved you that I gave my only begotten Son that whoever, whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Go back to Romans 5 verse 8 or look at it on the slide. But God shows His love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then verse 9, Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. What is God doing in Christ on the cross? As we talked about yesterday, Jesus is drinking the cup of God's wrath. So what is Jesus doing for us? He is demonstrating the existence of God, the truth about the nature of God, the truth about God's attitude toward you, His love for you. And then verse 9 comes along and it says, look, much more then. Here's what else. Because only a few are going to be saved versus the many, not because of the unwillingness and the inability of the Savior, but few are going to be saved instead of the many because of a lack of willingness and faithfulness and confession and repentance and baptism and striving. Because few are going to be saved over and against the many. There's still some wrath to be satisfied. And so the, the, the wrath for, for my sins... It can be satisfied in Christ if I believe. But for those who do not know God, and for those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is wrath to come. So Romans 5 verse 9, what are we going to be saved from when Jesus comes again? We're going to be saved from wrath. Listen. We're not going to be saved from, from displeasure. We're not going to be saved from frustration. We're not going to be saved from irritation. And not only that, we're not going to be saved from Romans 8, beginning in verse 37. We're not going to be saved from angels or principalities or powers or things present or things to come, or height or depth, 
or any other created thing, we're not going to be saved from all of those things. Why not? Verse 39. Because those things cannot separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord that has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. No, we're not being saved from any of those things. And much more than, we're not being saved from hunger. We're not being saved from oppression. We're not even being saved from social injustice. We're being saved from wrath. The holy, justified wrath of the one that we have sinned against. Go back to Isaiah 53 now. God is love. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but... Not everybody's going to heaven. Well, why not? Well, it's not because of the Savior. It's because of the unwillingness and the lack of faith and confession and repentance and baptism and striving of those who, who have the opportunity in time to, to know God and to obey the gospel of His Son. And so, I want to draw your attention to verse 5. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. New King James translation says, The chastisement for our peace was upon him. Once upon a time, it was very time consuming to do a word study of a word in God's word, but those days are, are a long time gone. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app like the Blue Letter Bible, and you can turn to a scripture, and you can click on Isaiah 53 5, and you can touch the verse, and it'll come up with this screen, and at the top of that screen it'll say interlinear, you can click on that, and then it'll pull up all the words that are in Isaiah 53, verse 5, and you can scroll down and you can find the word that's translated chastisement, and you can click on that, and it'll define it for you, and it'll show you how it's used in, in God's Word, and then it'll show you all the scriptures that that, that, that that verse uses that word. And this is a good one. The word that's translated chastisement in the King James Version is sometimes a noun, it's sometimes a verb. It can refer to instruction in the context of education. It can refer to correction. It can refer to discipline or, or training. It can refer to blessing. But sometimes it's used to communicate punishment. Beloved, Isaiah 53 verse 5 is about punishment. The cup of God's wrath that Jesus drank, it didn't taste good. It wasn't a fun beverage. It was punishment. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. You, you may be here tonight and you may think, i got a lot of problems. I want to tell you this evening, you, you very well may have a lot of problems. You may have a plurality of problems, but I want to tell you what your greatest problem is. You know, for all the differences that, that exist among us, we share a, a number of things 
as image bearers that ought to bind us, but as the people of God, it ought to knit us together in love. Our greatest problem, my single individual greatest problem, is my sin that has separated me from God. It is my sin that has created this riff in our relationship in which because of His holiness and His justice, He would have to deny Himself not to punish me for my sin. The only way a lawbreaker can be at peace with the law is to suffer the punishment that the law demands. The law of the one lawgiver and judge demands the punishment of death. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. But I want to tell you, I'm not a smart man. I've always really known that about myself. Like, I wish that I was smarter, but the older I get, the more more I realize my limitations. But I want to tell you something about this business of the wages of sin being death and the punishment for our sin being death. We ought to all have known that our entire lives because it's on page two. From the beginning, God has said to His image bearers, Don't do this, and in the day that you do it, you shall surely die. Our sin is our greatest problem. All have sinned and broken the law, and all are under the punishment of death. If you have sinned and you are not at peace with God, the wrath of God abides on you. John the Baptist tells us that in John 3, 36. And Romans 4, 15 tells us that before we get to these glorious verses in chapter 5, the law brings about wrath. I'll tell you what the law will do for you. It will condemn you because you fall short of the glory of the God who is behind every commandment. For us to be at peace with God, the one lawgiver and judge, our sin must be punished. And this is why Jesus matters. This is why Jesus matters above all else. He received our chastening if we believe. He received our punishment if we believe. He received our punishment so we could have peace with God. Colossians 1.20, having made peace through the blood of His cross, He could pay the penalty for sin and not suffer eternal punishment because He had no sin of His own. 1 Peter 3, 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. He's the just, I'm the unjust. He's the just, you're the unjust. Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Jesus received the punishment for the sins of the whole world on the cross, but only those who believe will receive the blessing of His sacrifice. Yesterday, Romans 3, 21 through 26, Jesus is the propitiation for sins for those who have faith in Him, who believe in Him, through faith in Him. The one who has faith in Jesus is the one who is the recipient of the blessing of God's demonstration of love. This is why Jesus matters, and this is why it matters what you believe about Him. He doesn't want you to just believe any old thing about Him. He wants you to begin in John 1 verse 1, and He wants you to understand that in the beginning 
was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And what did the Word who is God do, 114? He became flesh and dwelt among us. You shall call His name Emmanuel, God with us. You shall call His name Yeshua. You shall call His name Jesus. You shall call His name Savior, because He will save. He will save those who believe in Him and who believe in what He did and why He did it. On the Day of Judgment, justice will be served. And so the question that we must, we must wrestle with in time is, on the Day of Judgment will I, will I be punished? Or in time, will I allow Jesus to receive my punishment at Calvary? Will I be punished on the day of judgment because of my lack of willingness to, to let Jesus do that for me? Because of my lack of faith in Him and the sufficiency of His blood? You know, some of us have have just got too much pride. We, we just stand before Jesus and we look at all this and we see the, the, the demonstration of God's love and the manifestation of the love of God. We see what God is trying to show us and we can't get out of our own way because all we see is our sin. And we, and we communicate to God, my sin is just too great for the blood of Jesus to cleanse it. No. Get out of your way. Get over yourself. His blood is sufficient to cleanse you. His blood is sufficient to cleanse your sins, to wipe your slate clean, to cleanse your conscience. God loves you. And God is showing you how much in Christ on the cross. Allow Him to receive your punishment right now if you haven't done that. The cross of Christ, His person and His work, it shows us the shocking magnitude of God's love. I don't know a lot about a lot of things. Some of you knew my dad, and my dad's been gone a, about a year and a half now, and he suffered for a long time with Parkinson's, and it was a relief when he, when he died. His suffering was over. We, we had a lot of really great conversations leading up to, to his departure, and he would say things as we would talk, like, I don't understand. Neither do I. I don't know why. Neither do I. I don't know if. I don't either. But I'll tell you what I told my dad. I don't have any idea what's going to happen tonight. I don't have any idea what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't, I don't have any idea what's going to happen the rest of this week. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen. D did y'all know? I mean, I, I, traveled, I traveled down here in September. It's October. I just found that out today. And I don't know what I'm doing for Thanksgiving yet. I, I, don't, you know, I don't know what my holiday plans are yet. I don't know what I'm going to be doing. I, I have no idea... What, what is going to happen? But I'll tell you what I do know. 
I know how all of this is going to end. And I know how all of this is going to end because the God who is, who declares His glory when I look up, He has revealed it to me when I look, when I look in. And so this is how everything's going to end. Jesus is going to come again a second time apart from sin, and He's coming in, in all of His glory with all of His holy angels with Him. And He's going to do one of two things. He is either going to separate you with your sins from His holy presence forever. Or Jesus is going to separate your sins from you, enabling you to enter His eternal, eternal holy presence forever. That's what's going to happen. Because the God who said through the prophet Isaiah, here's how you can know I exist. I'm going to tell you about some stuff that hadn't happened yet. And when it happens in the future, then you can look back 800 years and you can say, oh. And then you can look back at Jesus and you can see this demonstration of God and His love and His love for you. And you can humble yourself before Jesus and you can call upon the name of the Lord in full assurance of faith. And you can hear Him say to you, believe in me, confess me, repent for me. Be baptized into me for the, for the remission of your sins and you can live your life in victory every day in Jesus knowing in full assurance of faith that when He comes again He's going to separate your sins from you. And you're going to be with Him forever. Therefore, my beloved brethren, comfort one another with these words. Do you have a peace that passes understanding tonight? Well, it can be yours in Christ. When you ask the question, does God love me? Look unto Jesus. Look unto Jesus on the cross and see, yes, indeed, He loves me so. If you're not a Christian tonight, you can obey the gospel. The blood of Jesus can wash away your sins. You can have a, a, a faith because of grace. You can have a living hope because we have a living Savior. Jesus is not a dead hero nor a past founder. He is the resurrected Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And we've been born again into a living hope because the Jesus that we have been begotten into as a result of the new birth, being born again of the water and the Spirit, He is a living Savior. He is the living head of the body that we are living members of. He is the head of His body, the church, and He adds those who believe in Him and who are baptized in Him. He adds those Himself to His body. And He can add you tonight if you believe. And you'll obey. While we stand and while we sing, we encourage you to come to Him. Oh,